Ed, I guess also somewhere in this show we should touch on the impending arrival of Jose Mourinho. Have you got a pre-contract signed with the Red Mancunian podcast ahead of next season? No, I don't. Red Mancunian haven't done a podcast for a while, have they? No, that's true. Not that this is not, we're not, not throwing that... shade at the boys or anything. No, 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 no. We're uh, we're pod shaming here. <laughs> yeah, um, Jose hasn't managed a team in a while either. Well, that's true. Um, a conspiracy, actually. Did Jose manage a team last or did the, the Red Mancunian boys put out a podcast last? <laughs> that's a really good question. Have you ever seen Jose and the Red Mancunian boys in the same room? Uh, no, I've seen them quite nearby, though, to be fair. Yeah, um, fair enough. So, yeah, so Diego Torres. Diego Torres, who, uh, who uh, I don't know whether you've ever read his book about uh, Jose, which is very entertaining, I have to say. Um, he's the guy who wrote that uh, Jose cried for a day after he didn't get the job last time. He's the man now saying that uh, he has signed a pre-contract with United that gives him £5 million if if United don't sign him by May the 1st and £10 million if they don't sign him by June the 1st. Yeah, what would be really extraordinary is if they sign him in the middle of May. <laughs> that, that'd be really amazing. Sign him and give away the five million. It would be guaranteed. Well, or they dilly-dally, wait until the 2nd of June, try to sign him, by which time he's gone back to Real Madrid and they sign Rafa Benitez. <laughs> yeah, who uh, has left the Geordies having taken him down. The situation is, is slightly odd. I mean... So I'm not a super expert on Spanish football journalism or anything, but Diego Torres is not is is known as a respected journalist, and El País is a proper newspaper, right? This is this is genuine reporting, you would imagine. But it is. I mean, it's super weird though because this is not the kind of thing that normally happens in English football. It is the kind of thing that does happen in Spanish football, which uh, makes me doubt the rumours somewhat. You know, this is exactly how um, Luis Figo ended up. Uh, moving from Barcelona to Real Madrid all those years ago. But the story is this is also how Cristiano Ronaldo ended up moving from Manchester to Real Madrid and that there was a, a contract agreed the season before because he said he would he, he had promised he would give Ferguson another season and then there were big clauses put in place then along these lines. I can't even remember where I read that, but I read it somewhere proper. Um, but the thing about Diego Torres is he's not one of Gestafute's men, is he? Because of that book, he's very unpopular with uh, Gestafute. And so that that's that's that El Pais story claims uh, sources inside the agency. Uh, it's just slightly odd. But, I mean, Miguel Delaney, talking of other United podcasts, uh, really worth a listen. He did an hour interview uh, with Richard Can of uh, the Red Voices podcast. Um and that's really worth listening to. And he said in that his understanding is that Mourinho's people are still absolutely confident that Mourinho's got the job next season. So it, it does seem like there's an, there's an awful lot of smoke here. But as I think I've said before, the one area in life where you can really say that there can be smoke without fire is transfer rumours. Yeah, um, very true. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think for a long time people have assumed that Mourinho is coming and really it's just boardroom splits that have delayed it. Um, and or whatever payment needs to be made to Van Gaal when they sack him. Uh, I don't think anyone will shed a tear for Van Gaal when he finally goes. Although, wouldn't it be typical? Uh, United will win all their games from now until the end of the season, except on the last day against Bournemouth, the one that we'll need to uh, in- end up fourth. Um, if we win all our games between now and that game, I'm pretty sure we'll have fourth locked up. No, actually what will happen is that we'll we'll beat Tottenham uh, and West Ham and lose at Bournemouth and Norwich and Yeah, Villa. we just were chatting about this before the show. We're not going to lose at Villa. 
That's the that is the one thing we can assert the uh, rubbishness of Man United in terms of their ability to beat small teams or the teams lower down the table will be overwhelmed by the sheer abject power of Aston Villa. True. Although that one is at Old Trafford and uh, Old Trafford versus very bad teams is not a good mix, is it? Anyway, um, away from home is normally where United are really bad uh, and they weren't really bad against City. I guess we'll come up to that in a bit. Now, Liverpool at home in the Europa League on Thursday night. Good for 43 minutes. Not so good for the rest. It's the hope that kills you, isn't it? Really, it really is. They really were on fire in that first half, um, and it was so heartbreaking. That goal was just like that. The game was completely over at that point. Liverpool didn't have to do anything really. That that United were utterly beaten by that. And I've seen quite a lot of people saying, you know, oh, it's a sign of the lack of character in the side, or da 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 da. But they would have had to score three goals in the second half without reply. And it, it was just an absolutely huge ask, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, um, a really messy goal to give away as well. Guillermo Varela, uh, showing a lot of inexperience. I mean, he's not that young, but he's not played a lot of senior football, has he? Just backed off, backed off, backed off and was on his heels as Coutinho went round him. And then I, I, I'm guessing the hair just wasn't set properly because to be beaten at the near post like that is pretty weak. So very, very poor goal to give away. Uh, it's such a crucial part of the game and, and you're right, it took all the steam out of United and, and there really wasn't anything going on in the second half at all. I think one shot on target, something like that. The thing is, though, and the thing that got my blood boiling and I'd say about 99.8% of the United supporting population, Maran Fellaini in the side again wasn't too bad for the first 43 minutes. Yeah, I mean, he had an all right game, didn't he? Uh, and, you know... It, it feels a bit like raging against the dying of the light, complaining again about Fellaini being in that starting lineup. I'd have been a lot more unhappy if he'd been in the starting lineup against City, I guess. Um, the the thing that really confused me about the team selection wasn't even Fellaini; it was the fact that he played Lingard and Mata, played Lingard central and Mata wide right against emergency uh, Liverpool left-back James Milner, who you think might be vulnerable to a bit of uh, youth dynamism and pace attacking him. Well, exactly, yeah. Really, really very odd. I mean, I, th- I assume it's because they, they th- he thought the matter would be able to drift inside and, and pull Milner out of shape, which he did occasionally. Um, the problem was, of course, that Lingard has no idea how to play that position, got himself in the... Uh, you know, in a lack of space quite often, ran down quite a few blind alleys then. And he just, I, I don't remember the last time I saw Lingard play at number 10. Um, I guess he has for some of the youth teams, but uh, not not a position that he's comfortable with, clearly. And it, it was something he repeated against City. And I suspect that rather than it being about him thinking that Mata could bring Milner inside, I suspect it was more about him thinking that Lingard can exploit the fact that Liverpool's centre-backs are pretty slow and and that maybe that was also why he did the same thing against City. Well, yeah, although a little more fluid, wasn't it, uh, against City? Lingard did pull out to the right quite often. In fact, United's goal, um, uh, which Rashford scored very nicely, came from a matter pass from the centre. Yeah, it did indeed. Definitely still set up that way, didn't they? I mean, they were reasonably fluid against Liverpool as well. It's just that those basic starting points, it's just symptomatic of Van Gaal, isn't it? It's like change where none is needed it's he, he's got a team with the potential to be really not like the best team United have ever put out by a mile but 
but a team with balance and a, and a team that looks that's got a lot of players playing in their right positions but instead he just twists that for for no reason other than a kind of excessive compulsion towards cleverness which it really isn't working for him at United, um, even though, of course, we were good enough to beat City, weren't good enough to beat Liverpool. And and actually, that Coutinho goal, you could argue that this was part of the problem because if Varela had had Lingard covering him instead of Mata covering him, might have uh, not been quite so uh, turned inside out by Coutinho. I tell you what, he was turned inside out by which fullback was going to play in what position. <laughs> I mean, I can't pick it from one game to the next. Um, I, I do know that he'll swap both fullbacks out, though. Both games, four, two games played since we last spoke to you, lovely listeners. <laughs> four fullback substitutions in that time. Four, one hundred percent of the possible substitute. I mean, unless he had substituted a substitute fullback for another fullback, which it's surely only a matter of time until he does. Uh, he's he's gone, hasn't it? Head's gone. He's, he just yeah. loves to swap fullbacks. That man. So at Man United Youth on Twitter said that he he's substituted a fullback 29 times this season and 19 times for the defensive midfielder I mean and and look we joke and we laugh and it seems ridiculous but isn't the point that that that's just the way he thinks he he does think conservatively he thinks defense first um whereas Ferguson would always felt like and I have no stats to back this up but I'm going to say it anyway feels like he would use most of his substitutions in um, to make attacking changes, to try and make a difference in a game. Yeah, and and I, I think that there is some mitigation here for Van Gaal. I think the one substitution which you could say was truly a kind of uh, genuinely tactically conservative, uh, defensive-minded substitution of all of all six that have happened in these last two games was uh, bringing Schweinsteiger on for Mata against City because that was a was an out and out defensive change in in terms of shape and everything. I think the fullback situation has been exacerbated by the fact that um, there's been so many injuries at fullback, so he's constantly sure. been managing their fitness. Sure, I guess, but that's it. I mean, it's sports science first and tactics later. You know, and, oh, yeah. and look, I know this is one data point, but just look at the substitutions that Klopp made in that game: Alan, Benteke, and Origi. And this is, and they're the ones that are supposedly just trying to hold on to a lead. I mean, absolutely. I'm not really defending him so much as saying that that the problem I don't think is about a defensive mindset. I think it's about a, an excessively structured mindset, an excessively um, programmed approach where it's like, okay, so we're going to use two of our substitutions to manage the f- fitness of the fullbacks. Well, Louis, what about the fact that if you lose this game, you're going out of this competition? Doesn't matter. Got to look after the fullbacks. You know, it's a very, it's very peculiar. But I don't, I don't think it's just because he's he wasn't trying to hold on to a one-all draw that meant we were losing, was he? I don't know. I mean, the the thing is, there's just no consistency in this either. I mean, we can we can kind of make this broad brush statement about him being conservative and managing people's fitness, and yet he brought Fellaini back with no time in the under twenty ones when he clearly didn't have match rhythm. He's played Rashford pretty much for the whole ninety. Well, a couple of substitutions but a lot of football, eight games in a row now. Um, and and for a young player that's never played first-team football, you're, you're just waiting for the injury to come, aren't you? Yeah. So I cannot fathom many of his decisions, and that, that's why it's so frustrating. Anyway, uh, we, we're getting into a neg- negative cycle because we're talking about the Liverpool game, and that was, that was pretty negative. After Coutinho scored, uh, all the energy went out of the, the crowd and the team, and it didn't really look like United were ever going to 
threaten Liverpool's position at all. Uh, no, although the energy didn't all go out of the crowd. There was still lots and lots of chanting. There was a long United Calypso in the second half from a big section of the Stretford end. And then there were also some actual fights in uh, in East and Upper where some Liverpool fans, just by where the away fans sit, tried to unfurl a banner. And there was lots of carping about whether Munich chants are worse or whether Hillsborough chants are worse. Oh, awesome. Yes. Don't you love this debate? Yeah. Yes. You did it. No, you yeah. did. No, you did it more. Yeah. How about you all should just behave like actual human beings and then the world could be a better place. Although I have to say, and um, this is not uh, me trying to uh, bring some kind of moral relativism into this, but um, uh, the, the, the coverage of... This is kind of weird, isn't it? You know, I know a lot of United fans were tweeting around banners in Munich and stuff that were brought out outside the ground and there's very little coverage of that kind of thing. Um, and a significant amount of coverage um, about the uh, the Hillsborough chants uh, and banner on the M62, of which there should be, you know. It's kind of, there's so much effort made by both the club and supporters groups to stop this happening, so must were... Um, rallying, um, I don't know, various sort of leaders within the Manchester United supporters base and uh, sent me an email as a blog asking me to uh, get involved with trying to get um, uh, United supporters to stop doing this and the club are really, really conscious about it. You know, they understand that they, they could get in trouble at some point. So it's a big effort and still there's some idiots getting involved with this. Yeah, and it's not going to stop because because it's built on the fundamental inhumanity that lives in football fandom. That, you know, there is this strain of being a football fan, which is like, leave your humanity at the door and just just you be in your tribe and hurt the people in the other tribe and none of it, none of the rest of it matters, you know. Um, it's unfortunate and it's obviously not anywhere near the majority, but, you know, it's a, it is a significant minority. The funny thing is, to me, that there's so much... Um, victimhood on United fans' part and and the kind of, oh yeah, but they're saying Munich and no one's saying anything about that. It's like, that is exactly what you would accuse Liverpool fans of doing. You know, it's like, it's never your fault, is it? It's always the other people and the people not shining a spotlight on the wrong that they're doing and only shining a spotlight on the wrong that you're doing. You know, Well, absolutely. Uh, we as a United fandom community have to get our house in order first. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and United need to get their house in order on the pitch also, which they didn't do. I mean, it was a, in a kind of electric start, really. Marcel took his penalty really well. Interesting that he was next in line in the Van Gaal penalty shuffle. Carved out a good number of pretty decent chances and looked really on top. And I, I think, you know, there's a sliding doors version of that game where Varela closes down Coutinho or De Gea doesn't get sold by the eyes and get ready to cover the cross. And uh, United uh, United go into halftime at 1-0 up and, and it, it could have been a very different affair, but... We're out of the Europa League at the same stage that Fergie crashed out to Atletico Bilbao, if I'm not mistaken. Athletic Bilbao, sorry. And uh, there'll be no Champions League football unless we get fourth place. Yes, which could happen, of course, after United went to the Etihad and won. Um, I don't know about you, Paul, but I did not see this coming. No, I predicted a 3-1 loss uh, on um, the typical City blog because it, it really 
felt like United were going to get battered if City were in the least bit up for it. But I think I underestimated how terrible City are at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it feels like their heads have gone. Well, not not only that. I mean, it's partly that the heads have gone and they know Guardiola's coming in. So just a little bit of the edge has, has left the team, and clearly, um, which doesn't say much about the, the City players, I've got to say, although maybe it's understandable because it happens to so many professional teams when there's nothing to play for anymore. It, it's a little bit that. It's also... Mangala and Di Michaelis in central defence. What a godsend that was. Uh, yeah, they they did not enjoy the activities of Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford one tiny little bit, did they? They did not. I mean, both not particularly quick. Mangala's not had a great time at City. Di Michaelis, I can't believe he's actually played 75 games for City. I mean, he was terrible before he came to City and it felt like a stopgap measure. And he's still there, still playing games, still being terrible. Uh, yeah, and he was very heavily at fault for the first goal and also what should have been a, a an unquestionable penalty. Right, it just took Rashford out and then, um, I mean, I, I suppose it was it was one from the Fergie school, wasn't it? You know, point somewhere else and, uh, and, and no one looks at your own faults. So yeah, he pointed at Rashford and... Tried to make out, make out the kid had dived when he'd just taken him out. Um, uh, you know, Michael Oliver, I, I think, next to Mark Clattenburg um, and uh, and Atkinson, the, the three worst referees in the Premier League. Oh, do you think so? I, I, I think I quite like Michael Oliver in a way. I, I, maybe I think it's because he looks so young. I kind of feel I look at him and kind of think, oh, good on you, kid. You know, big, big future ahead of you. But yeah, maybe, maybe not, no, I'm no expert in referees. Uh, it, was a, it was a bad decision. And then they, the City fans, the City players started turning on Rashford and like pointing him and kind of shoving him about a bit. And Jesse Lingard ploughing in there. Let me at him. Let me at him. Real scrappy-do vibes. And there was a nice little fist bump between Lingard and Rashford as they walked off the pitch. They've got each other's back. They've been through the United Academy together, all kids together. But Di Michaelis picking on an 18-year-old. Outrageous scene. He could be his dad. I mean, it would be... It would be unlikely, but, you know, he's old enough to be. What do you think were the kind of keys to that game? Why do you think United won that game? A little bit of intensity. Um, obviously, Fellaini not being inside really helps because United were actually able to keep the ball, which they haven't done recently. So uh, Schneiderlin had a very good game at the uh, at the base of midfield. Um, you know, Michael Carrick there being progressive with his passing, Schneiderlin running around, giving some energy. Mata drifting into the centre. It just it felt like a little bit of a better balance and a bit more intensity, at least for an hour or so. I have to say it was pretty obvious that uh, after the substitution had been made to take matter off and, and bring Schweinsteiger on, that the uh, the tide would turn and it did significantly. But um, yeah, for the first forty five, you know, maybe not the best half the United have played this season but not far off it. Uh, yeah, it was right up there, wasn't it? I mean, they did look vulnerable at the back, United actually. I thought Blint did an all right job on Aguero and Smalling was excellent. Oh, for sure, yeah. Match in that game, although, talk about Oliver not being great, uh, you could definitely argue that Smalling was lucky to still be on a pitch to get booked early and then definitely committed a foul that would have been at least teetering on a yellow card if he hadn't already been on one, didn't he, in the second half? Yeah, he was asked about it after the game and, and uh, said there was no malicious intent in it, which is probably right, but yeah, some referees would have um, would have booked him uh, probably uh, probably if it was his first foul or uh, first yellow card offence. Um, so yeah, a little bit lucky, not, not clear cut. 
Um, no. And um, uh, true, I thought they did both did pretty well. I thought Domin was having a good game until he was switched to the left. Um, so much better on the right, isn't he? Well, it's so um, much better yeah. on the right in our half. Yes. Because he put in a cross that hit the far corner flag. Yes. His attacking play is dreadful, but he's he's reasonably solid defending, isn't he? Um, I mean, I think he's going to have to be swapped in the end because so much um, about modern football is attacking from fullbacks. Um, and certainly, if, if Jose comes in and and does play a sort of four three three or four two three one, uh, both variants are the same thing really. Um, he's going to want attacking fullbacks in there, and and Darmian just doesn't give United any kind of outlet there in the final third. Which is which is a big a big issue, and and I mean we'll, we'll see what happens when Shaw comes back and and what the balance of the team looks like then. I do think he's been a, a huge miss all season because actually Marcus Rocco isn't much cop going forward. Uh, Marcus Rocco, I think I mentioned this last week, but he's having an underrated, terrible season, Marcus Rocco is. He, he doesn't really look uh, up to standard, I would say. No, I think it's about expectations though. So I don't think people are expecting loads from him. Um, otherwise there'd be more focus on him. There's a lot of focus on Fellaini because he's so bad People are incredulous that he gets anywhere near the United side. I think it's also because he's got an afro. Do you think he stands out? Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think that that is part of the problem. Are you I, saying I, the United supporter base is racist? No, I'm saying people look to single out scapegoats, and this is not me saying that Fellaini is a qualified to be a United player. B should ever, ever, ever play for us in defensive midfield again, uh, as long as we all have breath in our lungs. But he's not some kind of, you know, semi-professional incompetent. He's just very ill-suited for the role he's being asked to play. Uh, I mean, he he was a fine player for David Moyes at Everton. You know, he he's an effective battering ram. He's actually quite skillful in certain specific ways. He's just a thug. I think Howard Webb was absolutely right about that. And Fellaini gave an interview uh, to BBC Sport, I think it was, saying... He's not a dirty player. He just protects himself on the pitch, which is, you know, a straight, straight up, straightforward lie. He he is very consistently looking to hurt his opponents. Right? That's yes. I think I can say that without running a fear of the libel laws. No, no, too right. I mean, he, his two main qualities are the left elbow and the right elbow, <laughs> uh, which seem to connect. Um, on many, many occasions, Danny Taylor in The Guardian pointed out 12 occasions in which Fellaini has elbowed someone and got away with it. That's the thing that, that astounds, really. Why isn't he sent off more often? I think it's because it's so hard to prove intent, isn't it? Because his natural jumping motion constantly smashes his elbow into people's faces. But the thing is, that's not... Like, everyone knows that. He knows that. He has. He just has to stop doing it because he keeps elbowing people in the face, which is genuinely dangerous. Like this isn't. This isn't some moral crusade for the sake of it. This is like ultimate disrespect to his fellow professionals, and it's slightly strange because he always looks like quite a popular character, Maran Fellaini. But, but he's just. He's a right old coward on the pitch, you know. Yeah, he is. He is a coward and he's not very good. So one way that he's not a coward, as was pointed to me by a friend of the show at Barca Jim, uh, who's having a 
uh, chat with our other friend Bricky about how Fellaini is not a coward in the sense of even when quite a lot of United players will shrink into themselves. This is a team that when things are getting tough, they don't necessarily kind of really want the ball. Fellaini never stops wanting the ball. He never stops kind of making himself open for a pass. It's just what he then does with it when he gets it that's slightly less exciting. Yeah, I'm not sure that's really high praise, is it? Sure, he's he's there for a pass. I'm not I'm not really sure what that says about him. Really, I mean, because he doesn't do anything with the ball when he has it. He barely ever puts in a tackle or a successful tackle. His aerial wins are about fifty percent, forty-eight percent. He doesn't score that many goals, and he never assists. So yeah, he uh, he he's happy to receive a pass and then it up. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I just think it's it's slightly more new. The situation is slightly more nuanced than he is just totally abject and should never be allowed to play professional football again and is a human disgrace. I, I think that there's a kind of there's a slight overstatement of all that, which is born of the fact that he is is such an easy target for scapegoating. The the real problem here isn't even Fellaini; it's Van Gaal, right? Like he was okay in that game against Liverpool, but there's that vine that's going round of the moment where he has the ball on the edge of the box with players all around him and just knocks a pass back uh, back into midfield for absolutely no reason. Well, look, the way you phrase that might sound like um, that was his only option. He could have turned onto his left foot and shot. Absolutely. Uh, and that's the thing, you know, no one was that tight to him and it was a brilliant like defensive anticipation. Got the ball... Wandered out with it, Beresi esque, defending <laughs> on Liverpool's behalf. Yeah, I mean, he was totally woeful at Anfield, and he wasn't totally woeful at Old Trafford. Um, I can't think off the top of my head of anyone that was totally woeful for United in that game. I mean, Varela made that mistake and was instantly hooked for Antonio Valencia. Another option at right back, Ed. The big boy Tony V's back. I wonder whether Van Gaal could start with four subs and then still manage to sub three of them off. Yeah, I mean, he would just he would do the dream task and give each fullback, each right back, thirty minutes each. You know, then he wouldn't have to choose between them. Uh, but yeah, it was it, slightly symptomatic again of Van Gaal's handling of slightly more creative-minded players. As soon as you make a mistake, that's it. You're off. Don't I don't care what it does to your confidence. I mean. He did it a long time ago with Paddy McNair, of all people, then immediately brought Paddy McNair on in the next game. He obviously couldn't do that with Varela here. I don't think Varela was even on the bench um, for this one. But it'll be interesting to see how long it is before he gets back into the starting eleven, or even on as a sub with Valencia back. Yeah, well, um, he probably won't, will he? And that's a, it's, a good, uh, it's a good point, really. So as soon as Fellaini came back... He was back in the side. Um, as soon as Valencia is back, he's back in the side. Let's just make the assumption that as soon as Rooney's back, he'll be back in the side as well, and and Rashford will be back on the bench. Well, Valencia Valencia was played in the under twenty ones, came on at half time, a bit more doing the actual the Van Gaal principle, you know, not quite thrown straight back in the starting eleven. Yeah, but it's it's an average player back in the side. Oh yeah. So, um, sure. Although I mean, you know, it's not as clear cut with the right back because no one has actually starred there really, have they? But Rashford's been a revelation. Martial's been excellent. Memphis, not so much. But um, but yeah, Rooney will be straight back in the team, undoubtedly. But Memphis, again, is another one who Van Gaal's really mishandled. Because he was finding some form. He did look like really bright and lively and starting to make a kind of place for himself in the side. And nope, straight away, as soon as Lingard's back, sling your rook, son. 
We, we want to go with safety first options here. Why do you think Van Gaal dropped Fellaini for the Manchester derby then? Uh, I, probably because he wanted a bit more control of the ball in, in midfield. Uh, I, mean, I mean, that's the reason why you'd bring Carrick back in, right? So uh, much more comfortable on the ball. And, and you know, uh, I presume, without having look at the, looked at the data, will have upped United's pass completion rate quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, Carrick played against Liverpool, didn't he? It was uh, Schneiderlin that came in for Fellaini, was it not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, fair enough. Um, I, I mean, in that case, Schneiderlin is just uh, more mobile around the pitch, I guess. I mean, either way, he's also better on the ball, right? So not that he's Carrick-esque in terms of his passing. But yeah, they're just trying to find the balance. The best combination this season, undoubtedly, in central midfield has been Herrera and Schneiderlin for that short burst where they played together. Um, and United actually look quite dynamic in midfield. Aside from that, it's been very, very rare. Yes, that's absolutely fair. The City game was kind of an interesting one. We did look vulnerable. We definitely looked vulnerable. And Aguero, I think, especially that header in the second half, that was a really good chance if he'd kind of headed that down at the near post. I mean, De Gea might have saved it because he's David De Gea, but it, it wasn't like uh, United dominated. I saw the attempts... I haven't seen the final tally, but somewhere deep in the second half, it was 22 to 5 in City's City's favour. Yeah, ended up at 26 to 5 in City's favour. Yeah, a lot of chances, very wasteful. Uh, and uh, I guess that's unusual with, uh, with uh, Aguero on the pitch. Uh, Bonnie, uh, pretty wasteful all the time. Um, so, you know, in, in, that, in that sense, it really did look like City were going to score today. I think at one point I tweeted that I couldn't see United um, keeping a clean sheet. And I think that was more to do with City being profligate than United defending very well. Although in that period after, after the hour when Mata came off and United uh, got deeper and deeper, there were a lot of blocks in there, weren't there? You know, United went very narrow defensively and got a bit deep and, and just defended it out and... and did pretty well, I'd say, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and you could say it's kind of a um, good game management by Van Gaal to see the game out. It didn't feel like that to me. It felt like the surrendering of impetus and rolling the dice uh, in, in the sense of, like, we're just going to let them come on to us and hope that we can hold on to this one goal need or somehow snatch one on the counter-attack or whatever. Yeah, for sure, because uh, Schweinsteiger has no pace, so he's he's not the man that's going to really help with United's counter-attacking, he's the man who's going to keep the ball. So he was the furthest forward of the the midfield trio, but um, still he he was there to give United control, not to to score a second. Um, But, you know, the thing that really did help United was that Rashford and Martial just kept running into the channels and so they they were always an out. Um, And, uh, I mean, Martial's just brilliant. Just give him the ball and and watch him dance around a couple of players and... and, uh, uh, he's just you know, he's an absolute joy in, in those kind of situations, isn't he? And Rashford did very well hobbling a bit with a, what looked like cramp for a while, but then uh, seemed to run that off and, and was running into the channels, you know, for the last 10 minutes and, and you know, gave, gave United a lot of outballs. So you're put in charge of Man United in the summer. You're not allowed to just sack yourself and hire a proper manager. You have to make a decision on uh, where transfer funding is put. And you have the choice between buying Harry Kane or investing elsewhere in the squad. You presumably can't just have all your immediate targets. Do you, do you think that United should be investing in a in a top quality striker at this point, or actually with Rashford, Martial, Memphis maybe as well, and James Wilson coming through? There's enough talent that they that that would be kind of a bit of a waste of 
resources. Well, top quality forwards are the, the players that win you titles, right? I mean, United definitely need another central midfielder. It's too ponderous in there, unfortunately. The problem being that they've spent a lot of money on Morgan Schneidlin, who's a good player, but not a great player. And I suppose they'll be tempted not to invest again heavily. Uh, they definitely need another central defender, no doubt, an actual real central defender. I guess Phil Jones is is going to be leaving, uh, I guess, or uh, he, he if he even still exists. I'm not quite sure what's happened to Phil Jones, so um, a central defender needed. Um, but yeah, those forwards are the, the players that win you the big games. And at the moment... You know, Rashford looks like a, a really good player and he's very exciting and Martial looks just, you know, world class. But neither of them are scoring bags of goals, are they? Um, Rashford scored uh, twice in his first two games, went seven games without scoring, then scored uh, well, went six games without scoring, then scored again. So, you know, we don't know whether he's going to be that prolific. Uh, Martial's got, what, 12 or 13 this season. Pretty good, especially playing so much of it on the left. Um, a, a top-class centre-forward might well be needed. Um, I mean, depends whether we keep Rooney or sell him to China or not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a really interesting one because if you do buy a top-class out-and-out centre-forward, then you are really looking at Rashford spending a season very secondary, you know. Because um, Martial can play on the left, but then you're kind of wasting Memphis and... Uh, I, they're not. You can't bring through Martial, Memphis, and Rashford, and bring in a top quality centre forward. I don't think. Well, I presume there's going to be lots of games, uh, or maybe not if we don't qualify for the Champions League. Yeah, true. I mean, look, the 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 prospect of Martial, Rashford, and Memphis all in the same team is pretty exciting if they all fulfil their potential. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's a big gamble. So, talking of uh, big gambles, well, actually, let's let's just assess where where that. That game leaves us then within one point of City, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, West Ham only drew at the weekend, so I think United are up to fifth. I haven't looked at the table. Sixth, sixth, yeah. Just, just. Oh, okay. So still behind West Ham. Just behind West Ham on goal difference, um, ah, and that, right. that that really makes it two points to City because City's goal difference is so much better. So right. yeah, City on right. fifty-one, West Ham and United on fifty. Right. Um, so it's and and of course we go to West Ham not only in the cup but in the in the Premier League too. So that's going to be a really big game. Uh, I mean, it's doable. There are some tough games coming up. I mean, away at Spurs, away at West Ham, home to Leicester. Three big games there. Yeah, but I mean, you, I think you joked about it at the beginning of the show. The the point is, the big games really are not the problem. I mean, they really aren't the problem. The problem is beating teams that we're supposed to beat in inverted commas. That- right, Villa, Norwich, Crystal Palace, play all of them. Yeah, Everton. Everton, yeah, Everton's at Old Trafford, which is interesting because Everton have this really weird record where they've lost eight times at home this season and once away. Mm. Um, so, and, and that they're, uh, they were terrible against Arsenal. I mean, honestly, yeah. just, just really dreadful. Uh, and uh, that could have been a lot more embarrassing. Uh, but they're also a very entertaining side to watch. You know, they, they score goals, uh, they leak goals as well. And uh, part of their problem playing at home is they're supposed to be on the front foot when they're actually very, very good playing on the break. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, that isn't even really their problem at home, is it? Because their real problem at home is just that when they get a lead, they can't hold on to it for love nor money. Just chucking it away. It's not my natural instinct to be negative about United's chances, really. But the one thing that Van Gaal's time in charge has shown is that consistent winning runs are few and far between. I think he won six on the bounce uh, once 
last season and we won five on a bounce in all competitions once this season and those are the two best runs and they're always interspersed with absolutely dismal defeats the sudden collapse in performance levels and the team suddenly looking really disengaged and Van Gaal making crazy decisions uh, in terms of starting 11s or substitutions that wreck games so the chances of us maintaining consistency needed to overhaul two teams I mean City's fixtures aren't that challenging who knows what West Ham will do because uh, that's you know this is unfamiliar territory for them right I still would not make us anything like favourites to get fourth. No, um, but it's there's an opportunity there. I mean, as we spoke about last week, what more incentive is there to to try and find some consistency? We'll see. I mean, I also think that United will have to win quite a few games. You know, City City's running is not that tough, um, and so uh, it it might mean that United have to attack a little bit more often than Van Hal is wont to do. I wonder whether this might be blown because Van Hal is just too conservative. We'll see. But I mean, yeah, I, the conservatism the conservatism is a slightly odd thing, isn't it? Because it's, it's a far too simplistic reign, a far too simplistic line to take to say that the problem with Van Gaal's reign is that he's been too tactically conservative because there's been swathes of time when he hasn't. There's been plenty of time when he's chucked in a bunch of kids and played loads of attackers and really gone for games. And we've won plenty of games 3-0 even this season. You know, it's just the it's just the lack of... I mean, I've said it over and over again, but this lack of consistency. Last day of the season, United need to win to guarantee fourth place. Home to Bournemouth. Bournemouth safe, got nothing to play for. Would you bet against him playing like Schneidlin, Fellaini and Carrick in a midfield three? I mean... Y- y- would you really? Yes, I, I would. would. Of course, I would. Or, yeah, of course. or you know, United of course I would. Need, desperately need a goal with ten minutes to go, and he subs a fullback off. Or now that I would not bet for against. another fullback. That I wouldn't bet against. That I would bet on because he's he's definitely done that. But of course, I'd bet against him playing Schneiderlin, Fellaini, and Carrick in a midfield three because uh, he's never done that for a start. But you know, that... well, he he did for the last half hour today. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, this is true. But. To be fair, we were one 0 up at that point. What I'm saying is, he's not an in- he's not he's not an idiot. He's just a, a man making an awful lot of bad decisions. Uh, I can't see him being. I mean, you know, I say he's, I say he's not a fool, but then he he started Fellaini in the centre of midfield at Anfield, thus like rendering our Europa League progress moot. Um, but anyway, I, I just think it's I think it's a bit cut and dried to say, oh yeah, the problem is Van Gaal's too conservative, because that's definitely the problem with his substitutions. I don't think that's the problem with his starting 11s, by and large. So we've got eight games left in the Premier League season. Van Gaal is stuck on 90 games as United manager. He won't make it to 100, although uh, they did just score their 100th uh, goal uh, <laughs> under Van Gaal. <laughs> it's just glamour all the way, isn't it, at Man United? A team founded on attacking football and excitement. Indeed, indeed. What what do you think then? What's your prediction for the end of the season? Will United make it to fourth? Will we win that fourth place trophy? Stealing it off Arsenal. (laughs) I mean, first of all, this is the thing. First of all, it's super depressing that we're talking about this because that was not supposed to be this season. Uh, secondly, no, (laughs) I don't think I I don't think we'll make it. I, I think it was about six to ten weeks ago when I when we'd first got ourselves into a big mess um and 
there'd been a little bit of a bounce back and then it had collapsed again. And I just, I just think there's too much inconsistency. I think, I think the problem isn't that Van Gaal's too conservative, although that is a problem. I think the problem is he makes too many really fundamental errors that make us not win games. Right. No, I think that's a fair assessment. I think another problem is that he's too conservative. Yes. Anyway, look, you know, we, we talked about Jose Mourinho potentially coming and, and this you know, supposed pre-contract which says May the 1st. So if Van Hal does get sacked before May the 1st and, and Jose is appointed, I mean, presumably with a view to starting in the summer, it, for me, it makes the decision not to sack him in December, December even worse. I mean, because at that point, United could have saved the season. Likely, and I agree with you, I don't think we'll make fourth. Likelihood is this season will be a a total bust and it's going to have an impact on next season and the players that United can acquire. I mean, what more evidence did the club need to realise that Van Gaal was not the man that could take United forward? If they were going to ditch Van Gaal, and this wasn't about you know, not wanting to become a sacking club. If they were quite prepared to sack him and bring in another manager, Jose or whoever, then that was the time to do it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends when that pre-contract agreement was signed, right? And and whether they thought that actually leaving Van Gaal in the job was the best chance of locking up fourth place compared to rolling the dice with gigs for five months because Mourinho wasn't available through whatever contractual reason with in terms of his deal with Chelsea, he couldn't manage another Premier League club this season or something like that, you know. I'm, I've no idea if that's the case, but it's not doesn't seem completely unfeasible, does it? Um, well, not completely unfeasible. I have no idea if that's the case either. Um, it is somewhat telling, though, that uh, Chelsea are contesting the... Contesting the Ivo Canero uh, lawsuit, aren't they? So I wonder what's going to come out there. They haven't settled. Uh, they obviously feel quite confident, but um, uh, we'll see. Hmm. Could be embarrassing still, couldn't it? Uh, yeah, I guess so. And and uh, yeah, at some point could embarrass him out of a job at United, I guess, depending on how bad it got. So look, we know exactly what he said because all the lip readers told us. So, you know, he's uh, he's obviously a rampant misogynist uh, as well as his many other faults. Yeah, um, and, you know, I still just don't know how to feel about Mourinho. I, I mean, I've got totally sucked into the kind of potential soap opera of Mourinho versus Guardiola in Manchester. That seems incredibly appealing as a story. You know, we've had a we had a good question from Craig English at Craig English ninety two who says with our best the best of our squad being young attack minded gems, uh, isn't Mourinho going to struggle at United relative to expectations? This is hardly his forte, um, and and he has had a, a rough few seasons. Although I suspect it's probably too soon to declare him finished. Yeah, I mean, there's one narrative that says that uh, the best of Mourinho is in the past. Uh, of course, you know, because he was just so destructive at Chelsea and you wonder why he was so destructive. Was it was it burnout? Was was it um, the fact that his ego has just gone so wild it can no longer contain uh, any challenge? Um, who knows? Um, or, or maybe we'll get Mourinho of old back or Mourinho, be, you know, best case scenario, Mourinho of Real Madrid days when they scored 100 goals in a season. I mean, that's sort of the best case scenario, but... He won his league, what, one one in three three shots? I mean, admittedly, against one of the best club sides in history. Um, and he also really seemed to fall apart and left a schism in the dressing room, which is still being healed now. So, you know, I'm not sure Mourinho at Real Madrid is entirely the best case scenario. 
maybe Mourinho first time round at Chelsea. And and I mean, the one narrative that does do the rounds among United fans is that the reason he was so destructive at Chelsea is because this time round he didn't want to be there because he wanted the United job. I think that's a little convenient and red tinted. <laughs> Clutching at a very thin straw, that yeah, one. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, we'll see. I think what we can guarantee is that um, he's going to cause some drama. Uh, if he turns up, uh, if this is true and he turns up, there will be some drama and much of it will be hiding behind a sofa on your hands type drama and that it will be embarrassing and he's going to say a lot of things that we don't like. Uh, but what he will do is he will rally the troops, you know, and and we will get to the point where um, uh, it's them versus us again, right? And because it doesn't really feel like that right now, um, it's it's uh, it's Van Hal versus us <laughs> at the moment, uh, and you know, and and Mourinho will certainly help you know create a united front at least for a while. Uh, history does tell us that he will then destroy it. Putting you on the spot, obviously, like this is just your instincts about everything that's doing the rounds. Next season, Jose Mourinho's Man United manager? Yes or no? It seems so, yes. Yeah, okay. Not, not that... I have to say, if you're asking me what would be my preference, uh, it, it would not be Mourinho or Trafford, for sure. Um, not that, you know, the best options are available, of course, because Ancelotti, who would have been a fine option, is going to buy in Klopp, who once upon a time would have been a fine option. Obviously, he's been found out in the Premier League and, you know, he's he's just a bit of a fraud. Jürgen uh, Flop. Jürgen Flop, yeah. Yeah, definitely keeping with that narrative. Uh, didn't want him anywhere near the club at all. It looks like he, he's on meths as well, you know, on a park bench. And he's not available, so he missed out, missed out on Guardiola. And that's the other frustrating thing. You know, if they're prepared to sack Van Gaal... Why wasn't a bigger effort made for Guardiola? Do you mean Pep Fraudiola, the useless manager? Yeah, that's it. Pep Fraudiola, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps we should go for Alan Pardiola instead. Did you watch the Champions League match between Bayern and Juve? I did. What a game, eh? What a game. I, I actually, um, on the uh, the uh, streaming service I use, because I'm a cable cutter, I cut all my official uh, of- official things and and just use different streaming services. Paid official, paid paid for ones, you know, which you can do. Um, you can watch two games side by side. So I did. I watched them both side by side. One was a little better than the other, though. To be fair, I guess there was there was some some incredible individual moments in that Arsenal game, weren't there? There were, there were. But yeah, uh, Bayern Munich, Juve uh, was. Um, Incredible. At one stage, it did look like uh, Pep might not have a Champions League game for some <laughs> time. Because <laughs> Slaven Bilic is going to take his uh, his league and place for exactly. next season. Um, I, the thing that that game made me think more than anything else is Thomas Muller is legitimately one of my favourite footballers in the world. Like, if, you've, if you had to, I don't know... There's just something about the power of that man to influence key moments in sporting events that transcends the basic fundamentals of football. He's uh, he's remarkable. The other remarkable thing that's happened is that Leicester won again. Everyone else won, of course, so it's not quite as dramatic as it otherwise would have been. But this is real now. This is really happening. Leicester are in with a serious, serious shot. But there, there's still time for him. For it to change, of course. Seven games for them, uh, five-point lead over Spurs. Spurs in great form, of course. Leicester won four out of the last five and winning a lot of games one nil. You know they they don't look like they're folding, do they? They were they looked. I didn't see the game this weekend, but they looked incredibly nervous uh, against Newcastle on Monday night. Um, they really, the whole ground seemed nervous. Ranieri looked 
properly terrified at various points. But they got through that. And and this is where the kind of narrative that actually the fact that they're running is against slightly less good teams won't be that good for them because they've done they've been at their best when counterattacking. But the thing is, the thing about slightly less good teams is you can get away with not being as good against them. Yeah, true. I mean, they've got some big games. I mean, it's not they're not all slightly less good teams. I mean, they've got to play uh, West Ham. That's a big game. Uh, Southampton, who come back into some form now. Uh, they go to Sunderland. You'd expect a win there. Swansea, not in any great shakes. And then their last three are away at United, home to Everton, who have this very good away record, and then away at Chelsea. Well, that's three bankers for Leicester then, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Fergie, Fergie said they'd have won the league by then, didn't he? That's, that was his quotes at Chelsea. He did. I don't think they will. Um, I, I mean, they're going to have to win four games in a row to do that and then hope others drop points. I, I don't think so. I, um, I can't believe that you're still disagreeing with Fergie, even, even with uh, three years of longingly looking back on wishing that all the things we'd complained about when he was there were still happening. True, true. Can you imagine Leicester coming to Old Trafford for the Guard of <laughs> Honour? I mean, yeah. Definitely, and actually, that that one wouldn't be as painful as some of the other options, guard of honour wise. Very true. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a very good end to the season. There will definitely be some drop points uh, with Leicester, but you know, you, you make them favourites, don't you? So I've just realised we're blasting through the show here and uh, coming towards the end, but we haven't taken any questions from the listeners. That doesn't seem right, does it? Well, let's do it. It's international week next week, so uh, no games to really preview. So let's go for some questions. Absolutely. At George Woodger says, which United players are on their way out this? summer and who has done enough this season to stay um so i think phil jones is one that's definitely on their way out i wouldn't be surprised to see marcus rojo moved on um i I would ship valencia out but that doesn't seem to be something that football managers agree with me on (laughs) yeah well i think a lot of changes at the back i mean no one's really performed really well there have they so you keep Blint because he's a utility man and can play in a lot of positions. Uh, he definitely keeps Smalling. Um, Rojo, yeah, good question. You know, uh, maybe move back to the continent. Uh, Valencia, it's a time he moved on. I mean, he's an average fullback and a worse winger. So there's not a lot of point keeping him. Damien, big question over him. I, I guess you give him more time, but uh, I don't think he's the player we really, really want there. Phil Jones definitely. I mean, you know, just deserves shooting. Actually, some of the some of the younger players will be interested to see what happens whether they move out on loan um, if Mourinho comes um, or whether they're shipped on permanently. Pa- Paddy McNair hardly played at all. I mean, he's got to go. I think hasn't he? Yeah, it's, it's a shame for him. He's a good player. He's not a great player, but he's a good player. Um, Michael Carrick. Michael Carrick. I think it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for United to move Carrick on this No, summer. but they definitely need to replace him because they need someone uh, in the midfield who's got that kind of composure. I mean, I guess Schweinsteiger has, but he doesn't play very often because he's never fit. And I don't think... Well, Rooney's the big question about the forwards, but I think a change of manager really benefits Rooney. Like, there's no way that uh, a new manager's going to come in and ship Rooney out. I don't think it's... It's too big a statement, really, unless unless there's something going on behind the scenes at the club. But he does still seem very popular with the hierarchy at the club and, you know, all that stuff. So At Sporting Glasses says LVG is like a two-piece slot machine that spits out a couple just as you're about to move on to Street Fighter 2. Well, and indeed. I think that's a yes. pretty fair analogy. Um, it, it is, he, does, he does pull it out just at the last minute. I, I <laughs> called that an example me. of the law of... Oh, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the Catholic method. He does seem to find a way to avert catastrophe just at the last moment quite often. Um, this is 
something which I think is a, a, an example of the law of Murphy that he's mentioned several times himself. On a scale of Rashford to Fellaini, asks at Sea Searcher, how long before this brief rainbow of joy drains out of my world again? Yeah, no, not very long. Yeah, and unfortunately, it could uh, there could be a sort of perfect storm here of um, Everton getting points at Old Trafford and Rashford being dropped for Wayne Rooney uh, when the uh, the big man returns after the international break. At Phil Anwill says, "Can we play that lot every week, please? Wouldn't it be uh, nice?" Man City, yeah, kind of would actually. Um, at Leo EPD says, has anyone found Dean Michaelis's legs? Has Rashford stolen them? Should we start a proper investigation? He was uh, he was absolutely done for the goal, wasn't he? Embarrassing. Sat down on his bum. Yeah, it was really good. At Look See Here says, who is more deserving of the fire emoji, Marcus Rashford or Anthony Martial? We answer the important questions here on the Rankcast. Both. Listen, lots of yeah, fire. There's enough hundreds tops and fire emojis to go around for those two boys. Um, if Rashford was a language, asks at Izzy Roberts twenty two, what would it sound like? I reckon it'd sound pretty mank, to be honest. It might do, although it might be a bit fast show Spanish. Scotchio, scotchio, scotchio. <laughs> I liked it when he said Europa in that interview. Uh, Who will win the Ballon d'Or first? Ask you, girl, at you, gal Subedi, Martial or Rashford? Well, it's going to cost United a lot of money if uh, Martial wins it. So yeah, better be Rashford. I think I would nudge Martial slightly ahead in favourite to win the Ballon d'Or first, but it's close. At Deejington says, will you love Rashford more than the Judas, a.k.a. Welbeck? Oh, hit a man where it hurts. Scored at the weekend, Welbeck. He's, he's playing very well for Arsenal at the moment. Honestly, I know he, made, he did the miss, the bad miss. That was funny. But it is hilarious how much like he looks like the only proper player at that in that team. Did I say this last week? I might have done. But Sanchez and Welbeck, they, in terms of like proper winner's mentality, they can't touch a kid raised in Man United can they exactly at uh, DA10L says our new hope how afraid should we be yeah I think I think we've we've answered that one haven't we um, at Snicker21 says kindly discuss the merits of the dab and the dap infusion into our team for the education of your users civil play well the difference between a dab and a dap is a, an important difference because you, you don't want to do the wrong one at the wrong time. The dab is the Jesse Lingard celebration, the Paul Pogba, where you Cam Newton, where you put your head into the crook of your arm. And a dap is a fist bump, uh, very popular among our team, which I'm for because I'm highly pro fist bumps. On a scale of 1 to 10, asks Todd underscore Schenk, how stunned are you by today's win over City? I'm at a 10. Not quite a 10, because um, we've we've talked about the inconsistency. So, I mean, I, I was a pretty surprised, so maybe it's like a 6.5 or a 7. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go 6.5, 7. I, I thought we were going to get comfortably beaten, but... You know, the thing about this team is them suddenly putting in a performance is one of the kind of frustrating things about them that that, that keeps kind of happening. <laughs> Where does Aguero get his haircut? Asks at Nathan J. Wilco. I reckon he must have just rung up Martin Scorsese and said, asked him to put him in touch with the stylist that did De Niro and Taxi Driver. Yeah, not far off. Though Valencia's haircut was a bit odd because not only did he have the sides shaved and sort of, you know, slicked back through the middle, but the middle wasn't even. I don't, I, check this out. The, check, the left side of his head was shaved higher up than the right side. That's a good point. At JMET MUFC just says, get the F in you Reds. That's a question, by the way. <laughs> I included that because it was the first response I got when I asked for questions and it tickled me earlier. But yeah, 
um, we've got the international break coming up. Obviously, most of United's side will be in action. Bafflingly, Marcus Rashford won't because Roy Hodgson is a fool unto himself. He's in the under-20s or something like that, isn't he? Uh, I, I mean, look, if he keeps scoring as we get towards the end of the season, then he's got a shot at getting into the, uh, the England squad. Probably not, though, because there are... I mean, Rooney's going to be guaranteed. doesn't matter how bad Rooney is between now and the end of the season or if he's even got one leg left or anything like that, he'll be on the plane. But uh, Kane's in great form at the moment, and so is Vardy. So um, between the three of them, I don't think Hodgson needs too many more strikers. No, absolutely not. But if he does want to take a wild card fourth striker, he could definitely do worse than taking the boy Marcus. But obviously that that's, would be silly at this stage. And, and why would we care about something like that? Because... I'd rather he had a nice summer off, thank you very much. Uh, indeed. Ready for his season on loan at Berry after Jose Mourinho comes in in the summer. Ouch. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll be back after the international break, right, Ed? We're going to have a week off. We'll come back after that Everton game. Yeah, we'll come back after the Everton game. Um, I guess we're not going to do a full preview of the Everton game because uh, you lot will have forgotten it by the time we get there. But uh, uh, I, I, should we make some predictions anyway? Just you know, just for the, just for a laugh. All right. Um, Wayne Rooney will score a hat trick as Man United win three 0 Yes, predictions, not fantasy. <laughs> uh, I, I think United will win. Will they win? Yeah, they will win. They'll win one 0 It'll be tight. Everton are not bad on the road. I don't think you can make a prediction for a sporting event in two weeks' time when there's multiple. Uh, there's so many different like chaos theory possibilities between now and then, depending on what happens. Look, look, look. Uh, we have no statistical model here. We're, they, we're not basing it on anything anyway. It's just for okay. Fun. All right, two one win to United. There you go. All right, um, we'll be back after the international break. Have yourselves a lovely couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to the Rankcast, um, uh, especially if you're a BT Sport producer. Did you hear us on the telly, Ed? Did you hear us on the telly? I've always said you had the face for telly. <laughs> I've, um, or the voice for telly in this case. I've now uh, worked out why it is that people, you know, when the camera pans to the crowd and their team's getting absolutely hammered, but they still like look at the camera, get all excited and wave. That was kind of how I felt about the uh, the inclusion of bits of the rank cast on the pre-match package on BT Sport before the Liverpool game. Well, I know we're losing here, but it's very exciting to be on telly. <laughs> very good. Well, uh, enjoy your next couple of weeks. Uh, maybe there'll be some decent international football it's not not true very often but um let's just hope we don't get any more injuries yeah, absolutely and uh until then if you want to get me you can on twitter at utd rankcast get ed at united rant get us both or more accurately neither of us at facebook.com slash united rant uh, read what i have to say on bleacher report and you max it uh, watch paul's house on youtube that's a big one. Um, and uh, read all the fantastic content on United Rant. There's been a lot of good writers writing a lot of stuff there lately, Ed. Uh, indeed they have. <laughs> See you next week.